And as they walk back, they'll make sure to get you one of those. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 9, and I want to give you a little background to our, our text here. Matthew chapter 9 is, uh, we've worked, you know, obviously we're nine chapters into one of the Gospels, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are the four Gospels in the New Testament. Now, the Gospels are made up basically of, of three parts to the, to the life of Christ. The first part that the Gospels mention, every Gospel mentions the birth of Christ. That covers the first few days and weeks and months of his life. You find that in all the Gospels, there is just a short portion of Scripture given to those accounts. Just a little bit, some, just one chapter. Others, maybe a couple of chapters. But the truth is, we don't have a lot, uh, a lot written about the life of Christ up until he was 13 years of age. But then something happened at the age of 13, and he began to go about his father's business. And uh, so then you have the rest of his life. You have the birth of Christ. You have his childhood that covers just maybe a chapter or a half a chapter in some gospels, just a few verses. And then all of a sudden it transitions into the life of Christ. Three years and the majority of the gospels are given to what he described as being about his father's business. And was he ever busy? You know, the word business comes from the word busy. He was busy about God's business. His life was all about others. He came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so we find in Matthew 9 a very busy chapter for Jesus. It began in verse number 1, where Jesus was healed a paralyzed man. In fact, verses 1 through 8, you'll read that account. An amazing account of, of a healing, if you will, where God touched a man... As he was going about his father's business, he saw this man, and he touched this man, and this man walked. And then we read in verses 18 through 26, that as he was on his way to restore a girl's life, someone interrupted him who needed healing. She was a woman who had an issue of blood. Scripture says that Jesus took the time on his way to restore someone's life, a little girl. He stopped to heal that woman. And by the time he got to the home where the little girl lived, she died. And now it's an even greater crisis, you know. They were upset with Jesus because he delayed, because he stopped to care for someone on the way to caring for someone else. And then Scripture says that he did an even greater miracle. He raised her from the dead. You see, the greater the crisis, the greater the God. And he has amazing miracles that he does. And then we move on through the chapter. Man, was he ever busy. It just got busier. This is one chapter, verse 27 through 31. He sees two blind men. And Jesus stops and loves those men and restores their sight. In verse 32 through 34, he heals a man who was unable to speak. And so we see these miracles after miracles after miracles. And then, and then all of a sudden, the chapter ends with this. Look at verse number 36 of Matthew chapter 9. As everything comes to a close, verse 35, he went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, healing every sickness, every disease among the people. His life was all about others. But, but when he saw. I want you to stop right there for just a moment. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What he saw. Some interesting things about seeing things. We've been told, well, we know we have five senses, right? And those five senses are active in our life, and and they have a lot to do with how we comprehend things and how we learn things and how we enjoy things, right? But it's been said 
that 84% of who we are, of what we become, of how we respond, is by what we see. What we see with our eyes. As you and I are about our daily lives, there's a lot of things we see. When Jesus saw something, it says. Let me give you some illustrations here. Let me, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to run through a few pictures on the screen and give you, tell you how it affects me. First of all, look at this picture. Can I tell you, if I would have put on that screen my son Matthias, everybody would have just went, why are we looking at that? But when you put a little baby girl that's dressed in a Santa outfit that's my granddaughter, it's like, oh, look at the little girl. She's so cute. When you walk up to her, what do you want to do? You want to, oh, and she's so precious. When you went up to Mo, you want to say knucklehead. Yeah. There's something about that picture that moved everybody in this room. If I would have put your grandchild or your little baby up there, You'd have had a reaction like, like I had. And honestly, we all had a reaction to something we saw. Something moved us to joy, to, 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 to say, aww. Oh, let me show you the next picture. That's Glory Ann. Now, Glory Ann is a special needs child. But what I love about this picture, it's one of my favorite pictures of Glory Ann. I have hundreds of them on my phone. But the reason why I like that one so much is, is she just looks like any other kid right there. You know, if you're around Gloria and sometimes you, you, you can see she's not like every other kid. I mean, she isn't. That's just the bottom line, you know. And she's precious and she's sweet, but she's got a lot of issues. She's got things about her that, and, you know, you just get to see her, you know, a minute every Sunday. We, 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 we live with, I mean, last night was a rough night, you know, at our house. You wouldn't have, you would, what you saw would have scared you. We see it every day. Things that she does, the way her mind works. She gets frustrated. She thrashes. But that picture there. That is just the most, I just, I look at that picture and I pray often, God, Lord, help my daughter to, to continue to develop and to grow and to think in a manner that would just, that she could comprehend more than she does right now. I love that picture of glory. And that moves me. That stirs me. Um, here's another picture. Ah, oh, look at there. I just took that one because I love that one because she looks like a glamour girl, doesn't she? She's wearing lipstick. She's got her hair done. She's all, you know, cool. She's with little Gabby, one of our ladies here at the church that's married to Micah. And uh, Gabby's kind of almost like, you know, well, like Gabby and, and Micah Willoughby and Lauren Hoffman. And there's about 10 people in our church that have just almost adopted. They're the reason why we are surviving this, you know. They're people that come alongside and let you have a little bit of life, and they're great. So she's, that's a beautiful picture. That stirs me when I see it. The next picture, that's my family. Listen, if you can't see a picture of your family and be moved to absolute tears, that's my screensaver. That's why I don't look at porn. Right, right there. That's, that, that's why I don't flirt with women when I'm out of town. That, that's why, that's why I, 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 you know, I, don't, I don't abuse children. I'm not ugly. I'm not mean-spirited. I, that's why I, 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 love, I look at that picture and it just automatically stirs me to want to be a better person a better man a, 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 have a pure heart i mean god gifted me with that that right there in this lifetime is worth more than any amount of money you could give me there's nothing that stirs me more than a picture of my family next picture that's a man named chris carney i'll tell you why that stirs me chris was a, a guy that 
He's a pastor's son here in town. He didn't have a real good reputation. He got away from God. And the Lord allowed us to come into his life to have some counseling with he and his wife and restore their marriage and have a part in their lives. And what I loved about Chris, you can see that big old tattoo on his neck. And, and even in his death, he had some skeletons in his closet that ultimately really just he could never shake. And he went through a lot of things, battles in his life. But he made the last movie for Teen Revolution with our team. And I spent some time... And God used him to inspire me to, to, to have so much more compassion on preacher's kids. You know, kids that sometimes stray, but they come back. And so I look at that picture, and I see his passion for movie making and how God's used that film to see people get saved all over the country. Not like God's not dead. No, nothing like that. Just in little small youth groups. I get text messages all the time. We watch the movie, Five, five Teenagers Got Saved. We watched the movie, one teenager got saved. That's all I need. Even in his death, he's having an influence. And so that picture, when I see that picture of a, of a guy that got away from God but came back to God and often just struggled with things that we struggle with. You know, oftentimes we all have struggles. We just know how to hide them really good. But sometimes I wish we all could just quit hiding our struggles and get, get things right. I love that picture. Next one. That was in Cincinnati last Friday night. Uh, six young people came forward in that inner city church at a teen revolution rally to get saved. And I had the chance to pray with those six people at the altar. And I mean, it was a moment that I needed because I get so busy in this life worrying about so many things that honestly, I feel like sometimes I lose focus on what really matters. And, and that night, I think I regained my focus. It was a great night. And I love that picture. And the next picture, that's a little boy who has no legs. That inspires me. I don't know why I'd ever complain again. I don't know why I would ever say to a waitress, this isn't good enough. Take it back. I, I don't know why I'd ever complain about, well, it's kind of hot in here. Let's try to fix that air. I tithe here. Well, these pews just need to be a little softer. I don't know what's wrong. When are they going to replace the cushion in these pews? We got a stain in the carpet. What's wrong with that? Nah. You see, that picture inspires me. I look at it often. I look at it often. Almost every week. Because it does something to me. When I see it. Next picture. I saw that this morning. I woke up this morning. I clicked on the Fox News like I do every morning of my life. Because I want to know what's going on in the world. And this is how I develop my prayer list every morning. I develop my prayer list for the world based on the front of Fox News. Because I'm telling you, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to see something that's shocking. I woke up this morning not to hear about one earthquake that killed 77 people in Ecuador, but another earthquake in Japan. They're missing all over. They're, they've been handed by two giant quakes in just 24 hours. I mean, while you were sleeping, hundreds of people were dying. While you and I were sleeping, hundreds of people were trapped in houses and cars. While you and I were sleeping, others were sleeping in makeshift beds as thousands evacuate southern Japan. They, they made beds in their cars and slept. It's chaos over there. 400,000 without water, 300,000 without electricity. And probably, as you well know, many more are going to be announced dead as they find them under the rubble. So when I saw that, I didn't just say, hey, honey, another earthquake. <laughs> Click. Wonder who won the game last night. I went to bed before the game was over. Who won the game? Anybody know? Did, 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 did 
you know, did Dallas win or did, did Oklahoma win? I, huh. When you see that, can I tell you something? Who cares who won the game? I mean, when you see that, 77 killed, hundreds injured, that moves me. Now, either I'm weird or I'm on to something. Because the Bible says that what Jesus saw, he was moved with compassion by what he saw with his vision. That's what moved him. That's our first note. He was moved with compassion by what he saw with his vision. You see, what we see will move us. It'll either move us in a way that feeds the flesh. It'll either move us in a way that is very self-centered and absorbed. Hey, hey, let's, let's stop at the mall. I want to get something there. Oh, look at that restaurant. That looks good. Hey, look at that. Uh, look, look at this. Look at those clothes. Look, look at that. And we, we look at things and they appeal to our flesh because the eye gate, you know, Scripture defines things as the lust of the eyes, right? The lust of the eye. We look, we want something, or we see something that moves us to compassion, to care, to want to make a difference. You see, Jesus saw the condition of these multitudes and he saw their heartache and he saw their hurt and he saw their indecency and he saw their hunger and he saw their difficulties and he saw their agitation and he saw their aggravation and he saw their stress and it moved him. It moved him to make a difference. So here's the question. What do you see that stirs you? What do you see? God gave us eyes. 84% of who you are and what you do is by what you see. Not what you hear, but what you see. And so I come today to this passage and I find there's three things that Jesus saw. Number one, three things he saw in this passage. He was moved with compassion when he saw, first of all, their neglect. He saw their neglect, N-E-G-L-E-C-T. What? does that mean look with me if you would at our text but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because because why three things because number one they were fainted which means upon further study they were harassed they were being harassed these were people whose lives had been harassed by demons and devils and the world can I tell you something? This world is being heavily influenced by demons and devils and, and principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. They're not our enemy. The enemy is Satan. He's harassing their lives. By the way, he's harassed you a time or two too, hasn't he? Sure he has. He wants all of us to die and go to hell. That's what he lives for. He lives to drag us to the place he is. And people are being harassed. And sometimes we can tend to look at people and see their sin and see their degradation and, and, and criticize and say, look at that bum. Look at that person. Boy, they're, they're worthless. And we, we begin to actually take a position uh, by what we see that is anti-God and anti-Scripture. He saw their neglect. He saw they were harassed by sin, Satan, the world. Number two, it says they were scattered abroad. Interesting. I wrote this down for that one. They were helpless. They were helpless. They were scattered abroad. I often think of this group as as potentially people who used to be in church. Many people in our community grew up in religion. They grew up around the church. But they've been hurt. 
They, they backslid, and, and, and when they showed back up at the church, nobody gave them a second chance. Rather, they looked down on them. And so now they're scattered abroad. They, they, they don't have a home. They, they're helpless. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn because of the judgmental eyes of Christians who, when they see them, walk back through the door instead of saying, look who's here. This is awesome. And embracing them, we say, look who's here. Hey, did you see who walked in? Did you see what they were wearing? Did you see the tattoo? Did you see that? Did you see the color of their hair? What we see. What's the difference? What's the difference? See, we got to be careful here. They're helpless. Thirdly, it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. I wrote this down for that. They were homeless. They were homeless. They, they didn't have a church home. They didn't have a place to come to be rejuvenated and refreshed. They didn't have a small group, a community of believers that sometimes there's, there's nothing like having a smaller group out of a bigger group to just really be transparent with and have that connection with. They didn't have any of that. These people were homeless. They were scattered abroad. They were sheep not having a shepherd or a menu for the wolves. When they came to church, all they heard was how bad they were and not who they could be in Christ. And so here's the temptation you and I have to avoid. When we see people in this condition, we must avoid the temptation to say, they've gone too far, there's nothing we can do, there's no hope for them. You see, this is what I hear sometimes. You know, listen, so-and-so, man, I just, I just think it's, it's just too, it's too late. Really, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but this or that or the other, they've just gone too far. I don't think there's really anything we can do. There's no hope for them. Avoid that. Listen, that is the case with no one. God is a God of a second chance, of a third chance. God is a God of restoration. God is looking for a church of people who will say, when I see this world, I don't see it as, as no hope. I see it as a place where Jesus can come and touch their lives and bring them into a community like this where they can be restored in time. We've got to avoid the temptation to feel that way. There is hope. There is hope. There's something we can do. So when you see them, what do you see? Number two. Secondly, notice he saw their number. He saw their number. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw how many of them there were. Notice that verse. It says, when Jesus saw the what? Multitudes. You see, you can count a crowd. This is a lot of people. You can count this number. You can, hey, you can even go to an NBA stadium or an NFL stadium or some of the large stadiums like up in Michigan and Ohio State where you can fit 100,000 people, and they can announce the crowd. 101,742 people were here today. But you can't count the multitudes. That number is so big you can't even count it. When somebody tells me there's 6.5 billion people on earth, I automatically get overwhelmed. I'm, I'm like, whoa, I can't even comprehend it. Six and a half billion people on planet Earth? There are people that, that have never heard the name of Jesus. There are tribes of people in remote places. And I, get, I just get discouraged. I'm thinking, what can we do? This is so discouraged. So many people that are hurting. And you look out at this world and you, 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 your times just kind of feel like, is there any hope? This is so overwhelming. There are so many people hurting There's more people hurting than there are people to help them. 
I mean, I've often wondered, you know, and maybe it's just me. I may be just whacked or weird. I don't know. But I look at how many churches we have in our city. You can find one nearly on every corner. And I'm wondering, why isn't our city completely saved? Churches everywhere, including this one, with good people. So, so why, why aren't we making a difference like maybe we could? Could it be because what we see is not really moving us? We came this morning to hear an entertaining message with some good stories and some good worship. And hey, see you next week. Or will what we hear and see here in this building cause us to go out there and care for the lost? And, and I can't wait to get back. I want to bring somebody to hear that. I want somebody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want somebody to hear the testimony of other saints who've been sinners and who got saved and know Jesus and now they're going to heaven. The need is great. What do you see? The number is so great. I was having dinner with the with the Siebert family. They're here today. The Seberts, raise your hands if you would, just right there. There they are. Good people. I had had dinner with them at San Francisco Bread Company. They've been visiting, and I, I I had not. I think I met them one time on the way out, and they've just been coming. They the uh, they work at the Hillcrest Children's Home, and recently the Hillcrest is is kind of worked some things out where folks can in certain positions, can, can look at other churches. And so they were visiting around and came to Gospel Light. And, and I, I just wanted to spend some time with them, so I, we had lunch together. And I was intrigued by their lives as they work at the Hillcrest Children's Home. I was intrigued by their testimony, their story of how they had been in ministry, but God, had, God was pulling them to, to sacrifice more and to, and to leave their children and to leave their home and to leave all that meant was dear to them and to embrace the life of a parent in an orphan's home. And so they left, and they came to Hot Springs. And they hooked up with Hillcrest. I see Hillcrest all the time. I drive by a children's home with a bunch of kids that probably have a lot of issues, right? And just keep on driving. Where's McDonald's? Where's Starbucks? Children's home. That's interesting. wonder what that is. Whatever. So I'm eating with these folks. And, I'm sh- and they're sharing, you know, how they enjoy the services, and I'm... I'm wanting to talk about that children's home. Tell me what you do. What's, what's it all about? And then I said this. How can, I mean, do churches help? Can we help? I mean, and they don't have, it's not like they have a billion kids in the home. It's, how, how many kids probably there? About 60 kids. And I'm thinking, 60 kids? Oh, that's, that, okay. Well, well, you know, how do you help? And they said, well, you can adopt the child. I'm thinking 60 kids are probably all adopted, but they're not. In a church, in a, in a city this big with this many churches, there are still kids that are being neglected at a home with 60 kids that, and all they ask is that a family in a church would adopt them. And I said, what is that? They said, at the very least, they just ask that on Easter and Christmas, you let them spend that with you. At the very least. Just those two, at the least. And I'm thinking, man, you mean you can, you can adopt a, a child and just have them come into your home and care for them and love them? And oftentimes they look, you're their family. They've, they've been abandoned by their parents. Or in some cases, it's, it, you know, yes, they, they come from situations that you and I, we really can't imagine. But these are kids who Jesus loves. He loves the orphans. He loves the homeless. He loves these kids. And so I'm thinking, man, would you come at some point to our church and tell us what can we do to participate in that? I no longer drive by Hillcrest Children's Home and just see a sign. I see orphans who need people in this city to love them. We're blessed to have that home. I don't no longer see, well, it's Assembly of God. They're probably a little different. Who gives a rip what they are? 
It's not about denomination. It's about the heart. It's about people. If Baptist was hurting our name, I'd take it down. It doesn't mean more to me than being a Christian. The truth of the matter is, is what do we see when we look at this world? What do we see when we look in the mirror? Do we see, man, I look good. Or do we see a sinner saved by grace? An old, rotten, dirty, filthy sinner saved by the grace of God who somewhere, someday, somebody cared enough about me to love me and to give me the gospel. And now that I'm saved, I've got the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else. He saw their number. And when we see the multitudes, we must avoid this temptation. Here it is. We must avoid the temptation that says, there are so many that are hurting so badly. There's no reason for me to try because it won't make any difference. It won't make any difference. There's six and a half billion on planet Earth. It won't make any difference. What what, what are you going to do? There's a hundred churches in town. All these people, you know, you go to, you go to drug court and you, you, you sit there in that courthouse with Judge Ohm and you watch person after person after person after person after person stand before the judge with a crime list and a, and a list of things they've done and he's trying to get them to different rehabs and help them the best he can. But I'll tell you what would help more than anything is churches who would embrace and say, we're here to help, we're here to love, we're here to restore. They'll serve their time and... Many of them will get saved, and, but they're going to need a church. You say, man, have you heard the numbers? So many people are on drugs. It's overwhelming, and it is. In our city, ask John. This city is full of meth labs. we got a serious meth issue in this town. Drugs are running rampant in our city. It's, it's sad. It's discouraging. It'll make you want to throw in the towel sometimes. It'll just make you know. What difference can we make? I'm going to tell you how to make a difference. You ready? Here it is. This is the number that makes the difference. One. You say, well, well, but there's so many. No, 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 no. Don't worry about the many. Don't worry about the, the statistics. Don't let the statistics overwhelm you. They'll kill you. They'll blow your mind. They'll make you want to quit. I'm telling you, if you knew how many people use drugs in our city, you'd freak out. You'd say, man, I don't even know if I want to live here anymore. Let's go in a cave and hide. Don't, no, 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 no. Reach one. Reach one. Find one kid. Find one child. Do something to make a difference with one. Because I have found that the majority of Christians, if you ask them this question, who is on your sweetheart list? Who is it that you're, I mean, who is it that you're burdened about, that you, that you pray for every day, that when you think about their name, you cry. You, you take them out to coffee for once or twice a week. You, you love them. You pray for them. You, you, I mean, they are on your heart, and you are so passionate. 99% of Christians don't have one person. They don't. I, 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 haven't, found, I haven't found one in a couple of months. I've, I've, I've gone to staff members. I've gone to, to people, deacons, and they just ask the question. And, and honestly, most people... They don't really have anybody. They're like, well, you know, I don't, not right now, I can't really think of anybody. We go through life with the world all around us dying, going to hell, and we don't have even one person. And I'm not being mean. I'm including me in this. God has changed my heart. Listen, I have gotten so busy doing the minutia of, the, of life and ministry and worrying about all these little things. I find myself that, that I've left out the most important. That's people. People. People need the Lord. You see. And so what we've got to do is decide I'm going to touch one. 
One. One. Just one. Not the number. Not, not the, I can't, there's too many people. Six and a half billion. Too many. Blows my mind. I can't even comprehend it. But I can comprehend one. One kid. One teenager. One somebody from Hillcrest. One ex-addict. It's been before the judge that, that says he wants free and just needs a man to come into his life and say, bro, I'm here for you. Now, I'm not saying it's that easy, okay? I'm not saying that sometimes that one won't drain you. <laughs> I know that. But there are, there are ways that we can work around that if we talk and communicate and and learn their number. D.L. Moody, I'll just give you this and give you my third thought. D.L. Moody, and I know we live in a day where sometimes we have to be careful about throwing names like that. Like, who's D.L. Moody, you know? I agree. He's lived over 100 years ago, and he's ancient as far as his, his name now. But he was an evangelist of over 100 years ago. Just to tell you kind of how amazing his testimony was is, as you read his biography, you come to find out that God used one man to stir two continents for Christ. And some say that maybe two million people came to Christ through his ministry. And I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but let's just, he understands what it's like to reach the multitudes. But listen, D.O. Moody was called to preach in a dream. He said he was dreaming one night that thousands of people on a conveyor belt were falling into hell. He woke up from that nightmare and said, God, I surrender. God, help me to help one of those people not fall into hell. Just one. And in his effort to save one, God helped him to be a part of saving thousands. Who is that one? Who is that one? And then number three, I want you to see here that he saw... Thirdly, he was moved with compassion when he saw their need. N-E-E-D. Their need. Now look at this. I thought this was interesting. See if you agree. It says here, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Because they were, they were fainted, they were, they were harassed, they were helpless, they were homeless. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. And so for years, you know what I've been saying? I have fallen into this trap. I have fallen into the trap that says, what we need is more laborers. And so what happens is, you all of a sudden spend your life trying to recruit people to work, 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 work. Yeah. Let's, let's work. Let's sign up for this. Let's sign up for that. And that's wonderful. And that's good. I'm not, I'm not, we need people to volunteer. We've got a volunteer meeting. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to tell you that the need is not for a greater work. The need is for a move of God. Because I'm going to tell you. It says, look at it again. Let me, let me get up there. Read it. It says, then saith the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Are few. Here it is. Pray. Pray. You see, the move of God is not a greater work. It's not, oh, I'm going to get busier. I'm going to do more. No, you'll burn out. You'll do too much. How many times do I have people come to me and say, Pressure, I want to do more. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, whoa, slow down. You're going to lose your family. I almost lost mine. I almost lost my wife and kids. 
I got so busy doing so many things. I was pulled in a thousand different directions. I'm doing all this stuff, and all the while, I'm losing my family. Why? Because I'm working for God. Bless God. I'll tell you what. I may, I may lose my family, but I'll, I'll win souls. Garbage. That's not what it, God is not asking us to lose our families. So, so the, move, the, the, the deal is not get busier for God. Work hard. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. No, 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 no. We'll pray. We'll pray. Oh, God, move. God, move in this place. God, stir our hearts. Because if all you do is volunteer to work, you'll burn out. You'll give up. You'll get in the wrong place. Our church will get so busy like we used to be with programs and everybody every night of the week. We had guys, I mean, I've had guys confess to me that in the old days, they never spent one night at home. Ever. There was something always going on at the church. Sunday night church, Monday night ball game, Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night church, Thursday night activity, Friday night ball game, Saturday night prayer meeting, Sunday night church, Monday night. That's not the answer. The answer is pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. We need to pray, church. But here's the temptation we need to avoid. And that is to play more instead of pray more. I believe most Christians just play way too much. We spend our lives playing hobbies, Nothing wrong with hobbies. We spend our lives doing our thing. We spend our lives with our agenda. This is what I do. This is my life. This is my job. This is my fun. This is my weekend. This is my... And all of a sudden, we don't have any time for God. We're just playing. And God says, pray. And what do you pray? Here, here's what I think you pray. God, give me one. Give me one, God. Just one. God, lead one person in my life. Help me to get one person, God. Just give me one, Father. Help me to reach one, God. Help me to have somebody that I'm reaching for you, God. And, and whatever that means, God, if I've got to give something up, if I've got to rearrange something in my life, Father, if I've got to change something to spend time with one, God, to love one, to reach one, God, I want to make a difference. I may can't change the world, but I can change one. One. Just one. Give me one, God. Pray. Pray. It's amazing how many people come up to me and say, put me to work. I, I don't want to put you to work. I want God to put you to work. I want God to burden your heart. You don't need my permission. <laughs> oh, listen. There's a nursing home to preach at. Go. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crowd of kids in a park, in a park somewhere. Go. There's a bus kid across the street in compassion for Christ who has no father. Go. Go. Somebody. Somebody for you to reach. This past week, I was, uh, we were in Cincinnati in Atlanta for Teen Revolution. We had these rallies, and I needed it. I just, I needed God to just, I, I'd just gotten away from some things. People, loving people, caring for people, caring for the ones that, Nobody cares for. I just, it's easy to get so busy working, 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 working. And so we, we had a great rally. The revolution band was off the chain, and the church was packed. And 
I, I gave the invitation. And uh, well, let me back up. Let me tell you about this girl real quick in Cincinnati. I've got, I've got a few minutes. I won't be long. I wanted to tell you this one first. I'm in Cincinnati, and I give the invitation. Six kids get saved, and then after they get saved, I look at the altar because I gave the second invitation was for kids that were saved but maybe needed to, and I mentioned this in my message, if you need to leave some things behind, if something's keeping you from following Christ, then I want to encourage you to leave it and come. And so another wave came forward. So I, I didn't ask him to come and pray with me, so I'm like, well, I'm going to go to them, right? So I start kneeling by kids. And I kneeled by this one little 13-year-old girl, and I just got down, I said, what's going on right now? That's all I said. I said, what's going on right now? Because she was crying, you know. And she looked at me and she said, I need to leave my mom. I'm like, whoa. You know, it didn't sound too good to me, you know. I said, wait, explain. What do you mean leave your mom? Well, you said sometimes things are holding us back and we need to leave them. If we're going to go forward for God. And she said, you see, when I was a little baby, my mom abandoned me. And she left me on a doorstep. She was a druggie. And, and I've been raised by other people. And I keep thinking, Mama's coming to get me. Every morning I wake up. I think she's coming today. She's coming today. And it's holding me back. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I hate life. And she said, Brother Eric, you said I got to leave some things and i just need to leave that i got a god that loves me he never's left me would you pray that i'd leave my mom at this altar i reckon if there's a kid in this city like that that's just waiting for you to say what's going on so friday night i'm in cincinnati i mean i'm in atlanta different city Probably different kids, probably better kids. You know, Atlanta, Cincinnati, right? They're probably different. I get different problems. These, you know, in Cincinnati, you know, their mothers leave them on doorsteps. But in Atlanta, they probably just, you know, no. They're everywhere. So Atlanta, I give the invitation, and I see a little, a girl raise her hand. Her name's Tiavante. And Tiavante, she raises her hand along with others in the service, and they come forward to be saved. And I noticed she came forward to be saved, and I was so excited, and after the service, she came up to me, and here she is. You can tell. She's probably not super popular. She's probably not an athlete. Her clothes weren't new. Trust me, they were not new. She wasn't like what everyone would say, super attractive. You know, she had issues. But she walked up to me, and she said, Brother Eric, you got a minute? She said, you, you said you were from New Orleans. Yeah, I'm from... She goes, I was there when Katrina hit. She said, I've lived in six different cities. We just keep moving. We lived under bridges, and we live in, next to trash cans, and eat out of trash cans. And we just finally we got to Atlanta, and, 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 and somebody came by, and they started to love me and care for me, and they brought me to this church a couple of weeks ago. And, and now I'll come here and hear you, and you're from where I am. And I knew you would understand And when you began to preach. I, I sensed you really cared for me and loved me. And, and she goes, I got saved tonight. And then I noticed on my Instagram, I posted that, and she followed me. And I thought, that's cool. So, I mean, I'm not really all that savvy, you know. I don't even have Facebook, but I like Instagram for some reason. It's easy. You don't have to read all the garbage gossip and all that stuff, you know. So I go to, I go to her name, right? Click. And pops up Tiavante. It's got a picture of her, and she says, 
I'm so glad tonight I met Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. I had an amazing night tonight. And then I looked up and I saw she had four followers. And I became number five. <laughs> she got five followers now. Oh, she's not all that popular. Looks like five people in all the world really know who she is. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up on her. I told her I want you to come to the big conference in Pigeon Forge or maybe Hot Springs. She said, I'd love to come. She goes, I can't pay for it. I said, I'll get you the money. I'll find me a bunch of rich folk at Gospel Light. It's only $165, church. That's a buck up. That's 25 cents a person in this room, probably. We could get her to Hot Springs and let her see what's going on here. See, there is a Tiavante living in your neighborhood. She, she goes to your school. She, 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 she walks down your street. And all she needs is somebody to say, I'm going to care for that one. I'm going to love that one. Thank you, brother. 20 bucks. We need 145 now. <laughs> you know what? We can make a difference. You got my... That's 120. We need, what's that? What's 165 times one minus 120? 45? That's 130. We might as well just finish this off because you know what? <laughs> one, 130, 145, 165. And spending money. Thank you, Chet. Hey, I'm going to tell... <laughs> Amen. All right, we're good. Now you can give it to me on the way out, you know. Hey, I'll, t- I'll tell Tiavante today. I'll tell her today that she's coming to Hot Springs, Arkansas for Teen Revolution. She'll, she'll love it. We'll get her here. We'll get her here. Now listen, let me close. Here's the, here's the, here's the invitation, and this is it. Number one, if you do not know, like she did not know last Friday night, that if you died, you'd go to heaven. I want you to know today, you're in a church that loves you. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Jesus Christ saw us in our sin. He left perfection. He entered imperfection. He became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. If you want to be saved today, I promise you, you say, well, you know, I don't know. Do, you know, they, it might be kind of embarrassing. Oh, listen, let me tell you something. You're, you've never met a church that would be more excited and rejoice more than, you, than this one if today was your day of salvation. Don't delay. Don't stay in your seat. When we stand, if you're not saved, I'll be here. I want to talk to you along with our other men. We, and it's just that simple. You can just come, step out for Jesus. But if you're here today and you are a Christian then I would ask you to pray. Just pray. God, who is it? Give me one. God, help, help me to get a name on my heart, a person, someone in this city that I could start reaching so we can make a difference in the six and a half billion. That's really discouraging. That's just a crazy number. I can't even wrap my mind around six and a half billion, but one? Oh, I get that. I get that. One. Yeah, one. One. Yeah, one. I can do one. I just can't do six and a half billion. 
Would you do one with me? Let's reach one. Every head bowed, every eye closed.